0: Every single piece of content has to be insightful, relevant and actionable. And this is something our CMO, our CMO you know taught me early. so something- you're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey
1: with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests
0: stories or didn't happen.
1: A big welcome to our marketing fans.
0: Prepare to turn them.
1: Ah. Welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Millennials podcast. I got the opportunity to sit down with Devin Reed, the head of content strategy at Gong. We talked about how to create content so good that people be willing to pay for it. Hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did.
0: Hey, Devin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Daniel. Prompt to be here, man.
1: I want to get started and see how you got into marketing because you kind of went into a different path than most people. So I'm interested in how you got into marketing and content in general.
0: Yes, I took uh, a path less traveled, which was I spent the first six or seven years of my career in sales. So I was an individual contributor carrying a quota for most of my career. And I joined Gong in 2017. And ironically. I found out about Gong because of their content. So Chris Orlov used to be the content lead here, and he created this blog, uh, this blog series called Gong Labs. And it's all about using data to kind of, you know, coach and show people what really works and doesn't work in sales. And so at the time, this was pretty groundbreaking because no one was using data to talk about sales. It was very much you know guruisms. People who, uh, you know, kind of self-proclaimed thought leaders or people who've been in the sales game for a while were the ones making the content. And so I found this blog, and ironically, later that day had a blind recruiter call, and it was for Gong. And so I was like, wow, this is stars are lining. I'm interested. Like this sounds like really cool what they're doing. Uh, and at the time, there were only 40 people total and 12 in the States. So I was, you know, ended up being a, you know, joining and being an early employee. And the reason I give you that backstory is because a, a lot of kind of doors that have opened for Gong from recruiting to partnerships, to revenue have all been, you know, through, through content, not exclusively by any means, but a large part. And so I befriended Chris Orlob when I started and just kind of, you know, consumed his content. We'd go on walk-in talks and you kind of teach me, you know, teach me his ways, his strategy. And, I'd always kind of had this interest in writing and you know, creating one-to-many messaging. And I'd done a little bit of kind of freelancing and consulting on the side to figure out while I was in my sales role, testing my skills in this other capacity to see if it was interesting. And so medium story, hopefully a little shorter here. Started kind of talking to Chris after I was like gone for about a year and a half and was like, Hey, you know, if you're ever going to hire someone, what would you look for? And, uh, you know, Hey, I don't know if you've ever seen my writing, but what do you think? And kind of being very passive about it. And eventually those conversations warmed up, you know, made the full-fledged decision to make the jump and join his team. What ended up happening is right as I, you know, had gotten the approvals internally and was going to make the switch, Chris decided he wanted to go back into sales. So we did this like freaky Friday switch where a sales guy became a marketer, a marketer became a sales guy. And instead of you know joining Chris's team, I uh, took over kind of the lead position, was a one-man band for about eight months until I hired Jonathan Costa And have been scaling the team by adding a content marketer about one every six months since then.
1: That's amazing. That's kind of crazy, the the flip-flop. That's, that's super interesting. I'm interested to go into like how you developed this like content strip machine at Gong, like what is like the formula for it and how did it become so renowned on like LinkedIn and all over that people are like sharing it everywhere?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, so one, I always give credit to Chris, he, he created Gong labs and him and our CEO created the concept of like, you know, we're, we're going to be data first because one, like I said, it was, it was new and two, it, aligns with what we do like we're a revenue intelligence platform like we're all about data and giving you you know information to make better decisions so it aligned really well there when i joined the team our cmo said something you know kind of kind of funny in a way but it was like you know chris had 30,000 linkedin followers when he left the marketing team and gong the linkedin page had about 10 and so when i joined you know one of the things udi our cmo told me he was like hey you know god forbid chris gets hit by a bus one day 30,000 followers go with them. We can't, you know, there's no, there's no way to gain them. Like we lose that. So what I'd like you to do is to build gongs following on LinkedIn while also building your own personal brand. So we get the best of both worlds. And I had seen, you know, that one as a salesperson. I knew salespeople were on LinkedIn all day, Rather, you know, not necessarily for the full 8 to 10 hours they work, but, you know, they check in the morning for their feed, they're prospecting on there, they're connecting with people. And so I wanted to invest heavily on to LinkedIn to get Gong's name out there as much as possible. And so a large part of my budget was content strategy for LinkedIn and, a, and specifically using a lot of video. Uh, time video was performing really well. So we invested a ton, ton there. And so my goal was like, you know, year one was. All about building brand there wasn't you know we didn't have a huge sales team, so there wasn't like this huge push to like show you know pipeline or revenue right away. It was kind of like you know get ramped, build our brand out. did that for about nine ish months. Russell Banzon joined the team, our demand gen director, and of course, with that came you know the desire for mQLs and trackable pipeline and all those things. So what the strategy was was you know foundation was brand, then start increasing our you know demand gen and sort of our our lead flow. And then about a year later, Sheena joined the team who's designing our category, which is revenue intelligence. So then building on top of that was supporting category. And so you can kind of see the maturation over the last you know, two, three years. And I can kind of go you know, deeper. I think you mentioned a question around kind of like the formula for content. But that was kind of just my early approach was get our name out there. Because I know that only good things happen when your audience consumes your content whether it's ICs who aren't making decisions, but might in the future, or CROs who can buy your software immediately. My goal was always to do a top-down and a bottom-up approach. And I knew that LinkedIn was the best medium to get that done. And then I could start to break away other channels like email events, et cetera.
1: Yeah, before we go into content formula, I wanted to just go into... It's an interesting kind of like twist because a lot of SaaS companies you see build performance marketing first, and then they build brand. How do you think that, like building brand, has helped like every other channel? Like, did that like foundation of like building brand like help performance marketing way more? And now category creation, like, how have you seen the effects of that over time?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think having a known brand and one that people like. Only makes all those other things easier. And so we also keep in mind like we didn't just have inbound marketing as like part of our strategy. Like we had an outbound SDR team. AEs were outbound prospecting. So they were still doing those things. But a brand can start to do a lot of things, which is like one, you know, that first interaction, like, you know, we have competitors, but a lot of people love Gong before they even use Gong. And that's from, you know, the content and the brand and all these different touch points. And so one, being known was great, but also having that, you know, that trust and, and the kind of that joy that people got out of interacting with us, again, even if they weren't clients, I think is really important. And so of course, like, you know, don't get me wrong, just because I say I was focused on brand doesn't mean we weren't looking at you know, leads and pipeline, but we were just focused more on the brand at that point in time. Because I think you definitely have to keep the lights on with revenue and pipeline. But our CMO was also really big on making sure, you know, hey, we don't want to just be the best; we want to be different. And a big part of that is your brand, right? Most most companies in sales tech space, marketing, you know, tech, see a lot of blues, a lot of you know, Series A blues, a lot of company that look very similar. We here we were with like bubbles on our website, uh, no stock images, bright purple and pink. Like we very specifically wanted to catch your attention and catch your eye.
1: That's amazing. I I I know for a fact because I see everybody on LinkedIn with that that purple color posting. So you have like that affinity of that's gong posting. That's awesome. I want to go into this like content formula because I'm interested in how you think about like content as a whole, like whether it's video, text, whatever content you're doing. Like, how did this formula come about?
0: For sure. So kind of a three-step formula. It's not really like a step one, do this, but it's like a, a kind of a checklist in a way. So every single piece of content has to be insightful, relevant, and actionable. And this is something our CMO, our CMO you know, taught me early. So if something is relevant, like here's a spoiler alert, Daniel, your product is not relevant to them in that moment. Right? It's like you're reaching out to them because you're like, you know, there's a fit like, you know, I wouldn't be bothering. You know, you're my target audience. I know there's a reason you should look, but they don't find it relevant yet. And so what we try to do is not market the pro- you know, And I don't mean to be product marketing. We're not trying to you know, market. Wrong. We're not trying to shove software on you. It's we're going out here to solve to, to provide content that helps you be better at your job to answer questions you didn't know and help you solve your problems. And so we know the different things that salespeople are struggling with, which is building pipeline, like cold calling, cold emailing, closing more deals, which is like deal velocity, sales coaching. So we want to have these topics that are relevant to our audience. The next one is insightful. Now insightful is very subjective. I have a really simple test that you want to know if your content's insightful. It's called the eyebrow test. Your eyebrows are going to do one of two things. If something is truly interesting and insightful, they're either going to raise up Like this, like they're up and you're like, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it that way. You're kind of surprised. Or your eyebrows furrow, they go low. That's when you're kind of in entirely like, I don't know, do I agree with this? Is this, I hadn't thought of it that way, right? Either way, the point is you're making someone think. And a lot of our content, the goal is to help them, but also shift the way that they're thinking again, using data instead of opinions when it comes to how to do sales. And so you check those two boxes. The next thing is make it actionable. And so a lot of our content... You know, let's talk about our blog series. The last section is, you know, what to do now. It's a very much a how-to section. It's prescriptive. Hey, I just told you this. You know, the way that your, you know, one of our popular posts was uh, email CTAs, the most effective way to ask for a meeting in a cold email. So I provide this data, saying, hey, don't ask for time, ask for interest in a cold email. Here's some data to prove that. Here's why it works, but now here's here's how to do it. And there's a different way you can do it. We can be ungated and give them a quick how-to. What we did is had a gated upgrade asset. So some premium content. And it was 43 highly effective CTAs. You could literally download this list, copy and paste into your sequence, to your outreach, your sales loft, use it in the next five minutes. And nothing's easier than copy and paste. That was downloaded like 12 or 15,000 times last year. And again, we promoted it other than ways than the one I just described. But the point is we're giving people content that is easily consumable and something they can use right away. Instead of just saying, you know, Hey, you know, I'm on my uh, pedestal here telling you what to do, what not to do. Here's my strategy. And then closing the blog and people are left kind of scratching their head. Like, okay, like, what do I, what do I do with that information? now?
1: I love that. And I think one thing I also want to dive into is like, like content in B2B, and I think this is part of the reason that why it's awesome that you were in sales and then your ex-person that was in your role was in sales too, because I think a lot of content in B2B doesn't portray like that ind- industry expertise or like expertise in the role. And I think like, how has that helped like your content expand since you've been a salesperson? So you kind of can speak to them like you're a salesperson, not just like a marketer speaking to salespeople.
0: I always... And- Handedly tell people, I would not be nearly as successful as a marketer if I had went and tried my first job as marketing to developers or to financial managers because I don't know those people. I don't know their ins and outs. I can tell good stories, but they're I don't know the you know seasonal pains of finance or you know the emotional just you know how distraught they are trying to handle budgets or people doing, you know, invoicing the wrong way. I'm, I'm I'm riffing right now. I'm I'm just assuming these are some of the things like, you know, finance managers deal with, I could probably do okay, but I might, you know, use the wrong uh, language or I might, you know, say things in a way where, you know, you hear it and you're like, "Ah, that's not your first language, is it? You can just kind of pick up on that. Sales is more of my first language. I know, you know, it's uh, simple things like it's end of quarter, not end of the quarter. You send out a you know blast email to 100,000 salespeople and you say, "Hey, end of the quarter is here." It hits their ears wrong. They know, like, "Hey, this isn't this isn't my people. This is something I'm being sold to. Something's off here." And so, because I know, like I said, you know, the the ups and downs of being a salesperson, the the battles of you know building pipeline every month or every quarter, the pain of trying to close someone on the you know 4:35 on a Friday to end the month. Like, I know all these things firsthand, and so that's how I'm able to one create content that speaks to our audience, but also help coach my team who are traditional marketers in the sense of their experiences in marketing to help them understand this tone, you know, down to the word choice.
1: Awesome. I want to also dug into like, I know there's a formula of like what it needs to portray, but is there like a formula of like, like the first part of the copy needs to be X and then like the middle is this because like, for example, like the famous quote, like, sell with emotions, justify with logic, and you kind of are doing the the justifying with logic with the data, but how do you mix that like the data and tell the story of like emotion to bring out emotions as well?
0: It's a great question, Daniel. And I think it's a misconception that people that know our content, like the number one thing you say is like, love the data, Gong's data, love the data. And that's fantastic. I'm really happy that grabbed their attention, but that's just the centerpiece. There's still a whole, you know, meal you got to cook there's still a table you have to set and that's where i think storytelling comes into play and so i'll, I'll use the gong labs example It's our data back blog post we do about two a month and i open almost every single post with a first person story i try to limit it to like eight ish sentences because i don't want to take too long i want to get into it but for example the i'll go back to the email cta one i didn't open it up and say you know Hey, if you've ever sent a cold email, you're probably super confused on this thing. Here's the data. It wouldn't have been terrible, but it's, you know, I doubt you felt moved just now, Daniel. Like, you know, <laughs> emotionally, you probably like you know, nothing, neutral. So, what I did instead was I put myself in the seat of, you know, when was the last time I sent like a really high stakes cold email? Like the number one person on my prospect list, or the number one account where I would, I would pay $100 out of my pocket if this person just took a meeting. What was my mindset as I was writing that email? And so the first person narrative is like me going through like, you know, I I did my research. I had my why you my why now I had this, I had that. But then I went to my CTA and I wasn't sure, should I do this? Should I do that? with a shaky hand, I finally click send. I exhale, you know, I'm like painting, I'm, I'm, I'm riffing, but you know what I mean? Like I'm painting this picture of like this, this anxiety, this uncertainty that I had. And then I cut and I go. I, would, I didn't have the answer, and I thought maybe you'd want to know too. So we looked at 300,000 sales emails. Here's what we found. And again, I, I kind of you know didn't do it justice for you know the writing that went into it. But the point is, I'm building up this this story where everyone who's reading has been in that moment. Everyone who sent a cold email has felt that way at one time or another. So I wanted to put them in the driver's seat to move them emotionally, and then I share the data, which is like almost like a um, I don't know the wording, but it's kind of like. Like you exhale, you're like, "What is it? What is there's like this buildup, and it's like, oh wow, that's the answer. Super interesting, very insightful." And then I hit them with, "Hey, if you believe in that, here's exactly what you should do: download this thing, copy and paste it, put into your sequences. It works immediately." And so the copy around that, the way we write, you know, how easy this is to use is also really important. I don't believe in build it and people will come, or build it, people will read or download. You have to really paint the picture in a concrete way of, "Hey, now that this problem's been solved for you theoretically." Here's the outcomes you will see. You will book more meetings. You will be more confident. You will have more revenue. All you have to do is download this.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's a, a great point. Because I think like, for example, I saw like an image the other day. I think it was shared by someone on your team. And it's was like, okay, if you men- mentioned pricing on like the your first call, X goes up. And it's like, yeah, that's like... Something like as a salesperson, or marketer, you're just like, oh, we should probably test that because we haven't done it. So it's like something that you can see like, oh, I got aha, like, oh, we haven't like tested it. But then also once we do it, we just like, oh, we saw that from like Gong said that. So like, I get that piecing together of like action, but also like once you get that aha and you share it with your team, it's like, oh yeah, where did you hear this from? And they're like, oh, Gong. And then you kind of have... But it's also how helpful is that brand story going back? Like, there's that affinity of like, oh, Gong shared it. Like, it must be like a good piece of content as well. Like, because if it was like Joe Schmo sharing it, it's like a different feel than like someone like Gong sharing like that piece of content. I'm interested in also like how you consider like content distribution. As you know, like every channel has like a, or every time you produce a piece of content as a different language and a different like format and people won't read like a LinkedIn post and unless you kind of have that white space or like people won't read read a blog post if it's like like has like imagery or like break points I'm interested like how you like take like big pieces of content and like make them these like micro pieces of content.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the most heartbreaking thing on LinkedIn is that I will spend, you know, these these data back posts between, you know, ideating, researching, writing, editing, you know, some of the design that goes into the charts and then publishing it. Let let's call it three to four weeks. Now, of course, I'm working on other things too, right? But let's three to four weeks. You know, you, you get good we get great engagement. Don't get me wrong, but I can take one of those charts. Put four sentences on a LinkedIn post, not an article, and get two to five x the amount of reach and engagement. It is a little disheartening. Like in, and again, every every piece plays its part. But what we do is we just do the best of both, right? So on the Gong LinkedIn page, we promote this article three times in twenty four hours. And what we do is we have you know thousand the posts are usually about the article. Excuse me, are about a thousand words, two three different graphics in there. So what we do is we take the best two, three sections of that. So, you know, take the chart, take it aside, write a little bit of context. That's a post. And the CTA is like, you know, read the full article in the comments. And then there's a link to the article. We do that two or three times. And that's been really helpful. Like we did one this week, actually. The article is doing great. It's got like 600 reactions, 100 comments. But the, those like sub posts, those micro posts based off of it, two of them have three, 400 reactions and Dozens of comments on their own, right? So you're getting great visibility and great like micro content that's also leading back into the larger piece. And another big part of it as well is we have you know, employee and sales buy-in. Every time I launch one of these blogs or another, you know, really big, you know, important piece of content, I slack out to the gongsters, which are our employees, and say, hey, this thing is live. Please take 30 seconds to you know, like and comment if you want. Uh, and they show up. And so it gives us a really big boost. And what's really cool too is a lot of them will copy and paste the link to the article on their own post and add their own two cents. And, you know, you know, hey, as a mid-market sales exec, I've made this mistake, but you don't have to. Here's this cool post. And so what we've done is really tapped into our employees network, which just gets us, you know, I don't know, exponential more than if it was just me posting or just Gong's LinkedIn page.
1: Yeah, I forgot I said it. And it actually might have been. Or someone, but they were saying like every new employee is like a new social account that you get reach on. Someone said that like every new person, I don't know who it was, but some marketer said like it's so true. Like if you if you consider that as a marketer, like a new person comes to your company and you get that buy-in, it's like their network is coming into your company, like their social. So if you get them to buy into like a, a certain post or your internal marketing, which what you're doing is like. Pretty much like internal marketing, which is key that a lot of people don't do as well to get that buy-in is awesome. I wanted to also go into how has Gong got all these like massive like personal brands? Like, how do they inspire like all these people to start like posting their own story? Like Sarah, you, Udi, like all like the people that are showing up on LinkedIn every single day. Like, how did that come about?
0: Yeah, I, it's a great question. I think a lot of people assume I'm like forcing people just because of the simple volume of, of people that post. Ironically, it's the exact opposite. So there's a few things. I, what it really comes down to is like enablement and empowerment. Empowerment means it's okay to do it and we want you to. You know, go get your shine on. Enablement means making it really easy to do. And so you mentioned a few people, like when I, you know, I'm going to use Gong Labs just because we've been talking about it, but it doesn't apply to this applies to PR applies to, you know, a bunch of stuff is our CEO, our CMO, our CRO, other leaders throughout the org, not just in sales and marketing, but in finance and our engineering teams in Israel, they will all post, not just, you know, the Gong Labs thing, which shows like, Hey, this is important. This is, this is cool. And they support it, but they also post their own. Content from time to time. You know, our CTO will post a blog on Medium. Our sales enablement manager will talk about you know the Sendoso event that she's doing, and so you know they they see early on before they even join, just like you said, people at Gong are allowed and seemingly motivated to build these. And I don't really want to call it personal brands because not everyone's trying to build a personal brand, but just be active on LinkedIn. And so that's like the empowerment piece. And so the way that we Kind of curate that is. Everyone is part of their onboarding track. Like they're, you know, everyone, everyone that joins a new company has some sort of enablement onboarding. Uh, when they meet with our CMO, he tells them what this strategy is, why it's so important, and that hey, you're going to get a Slack from Devin once or twice a month, maybe a couple other people throughout the month. There's no pressure to, but here's why it's really important. We'd love you to not copy and paste, though you can, but you know, put your own spin on it. But you know, get out there and you know. We just hired a new board, someone for our new board of directors, which we did you know, our first female board member. You're a woman in sales, talk about that. Like, what does that mean to you? You know, put your unique spin on it. And then what I've done since is kind of on a quarterly basis, I need to get a little more methodical, but I just have an, uh, I jump onto our lunch and learn, which is like an all hands, and introduce myself, share some cool stats, some cool things going on in the world of content. And I say, hey, if you want to join me for, Totally free session. We're going to hang out at five o'clock on Thursday. I'm going to take Q and A, share some best practices on LinkedIn. You know, it's perfect if you're just getting started and you've never posted on LinkedIn, or if you wanted to build a personal brand. Just type in yes in the Zoom right now, and you get forty to seventy people who say, "Yeah, I want to join." Half of them actually show up to the session. You answer questions. You you know, give them some confidence, and before you know it. Half of those people are posting regularly. So just from that one lunch and learn in that one half hour session, you've got 15 people who are consistently posting on LinkedIn. And like you mentioned earlier, kind of become in a way marketing channels to get the awareness out there.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. I think the empowerment piece is a huge part. I think like a lot of people are scared to do it, but also I love how like, and I think this is a big problem and why you're, Gong is succeeding and a lot of companies aren't is that they just say share this blog post and it's like everybody's posting the same exact like wording and it's no, not authentic. It's just like, oh, here's this new article. Like, look at it. And you could tell it's not coming from them. So it just feels like all weird and makes like off. So that's like cool that it's the empowerment, but also you're empowering them to have their own thoughts around those things, which is awesome about that.
0: I can dive into the enablement piece too real quick is like, anytime there's a, you know, big PR announcement, you know, funding round or, you know, partnership, whatever. Nahal from my team who tackles social, she'll create a quick Google doc and say like, Hey, gangsters, here's like in one or two sentences, here's what's happening. You you have the opportunity to amplify this awesome news for the company. She puts like, you know, Google doc or Google folder. If there's like images, step one download an image, your call, which one you want. Step two, pick a caption. There's two captions that are pre-written and a third always has like fill in the blank. So it's like, you know, your unique experience, whatever. I would say 20 to 50% copy and paste. And the other ones use it as a jumping point. You know what I mean? So all they're doing is, you know, hit the doc, download the image, copy paste tweak, And in two to five minutes, they've got a great, you know, LinkedIn post. And we get like, you've seen dozens, if not hundreds, depending on the, uh, the announcement to do this. And it's really simple. It takes 15 to 20 minutes and that's how you avoid like you said uh, that kind of robotic feel where like why is everyone wording it the same way and oftentimes it kind of sounds a little more markety than what someone would actually write on a personal LinkedIn post.
1: What is your like process to like of like the content creation part, part of it because how, what are you doing to figure out what content people actually want and need and like, how far are you planning those things out? Like, and how are you getting those insights?
0: Yeah, it's a good question. So we're planned. I mean, as of recently, like we already know what we're going to send for Q2 and it's currently March 16th, 17th today. So we pretty much have it mapped out. What we do is it's like one, we have already built evergreen content that can consistently perform. And so because we're constantly building our social media following, because we're constantly growing our email list, you know, people that, you know, we might have sent this uh, you know, objection handling cheat sheet, one of our best performing assets. We might have sent it seven times via email. But if it was six months ago, all we do is remove the people who've downloaded it, and there's still a very healthy list that we can send this thing to and and uh you know get some leads that way. And the same thing with social media. And those two channels plus events are our top three performing when it comes to performance marketing. So Part of it is mapping out the topic with the time of quarter. So again, I know that salespeople, the first week or two of a month or a quarter are focused on building pipeline. And I know that the last two, they're very heads down negotiating and closing. So right there, I can already align four weeks of content based on those things alone. Now, if we have evergreen content, great. If I think we need to dust it off, refresh it, or write something new, I already have a, you know, I have a foot in there. The other thing we look at is, you know how is the content in our kind of shelf, if you will, things that we can send at any time, how much of it is very top of funnel, how much of it is middle funnel and what's bottom funnel. And so two weeks ago, we released five deal warnings preventing you from closing deals. And it's very mid funnel. It's like a 20 page ebook, but instead of doing a traditional ebook, it's like a slide deck. It's like very punchy. There's no more than like 40 words per slide, lots of data, lots of graphics And it's very consumable. Our goal was like, hey, let's start to pull people down the funnel, still lead with data, still make it super actionable. That way it's, you know, and it's also insightful with the data. But it's much more aligned with like, hey, these screenshots, they're not in Gong, but you can do this in Gong, right? And it has a very strong CTA at the the end of it versus that CTA asset that I mentioned earlier. You know, Gong doesn't help you write better emails. It's not our, that's not why we exist. Right. So, you know, if you download these CTAs, you like Gong, we helped you do better at your job, but you don't really connect us. You know, you connect us with doing better in sales. You don't connect us with better emails necessarily. But this other middle funnel asset that I'm mentioning is much more aligned with, you know, the product and the use cases that people have. So I try to mix it up throughout the quarter again based on topics, but also making sure that we're hitting people with kind of different levels of content to hopefully, you know, educate them with what Gong does along with. You know providing again good content.
1: That's also awesome. I like the the structure of like middle fund and also like how you plan your content around like the behavior cycle of like a rap. That's cool. I think also the one of the questions I wanted to dive into was along the sides of like you, you said Udi is big on like being different and like that stuff. So how are you constantly thinking of like creative things to like stand out and like content, like creative campaigns that you could use to put these con for content. Like what are some things that you've, you've tested that you were like, Oh, I have no idea how this is going to perform, but it, and it exploded. Like, and it's the opposite side of things. Like you've done it and you're like, Oh, it kind of flop. Like, but that's yeah. content in general, but
0: yeah, I would say, I mean, l- luckily we don't, we don't flop too often. The one that didn't do well was just a guest post. You know, we try to have a guest writer join and it just didn't land very well. I don't know why exactly. Maybe it just wasn't quite the style people were used to. You know what I mean? Like just cause you put something in purple and pink, doesn't make it read like on. And so my, gut tells me i mean the data showed me it did not work my gut tells me why is just because it didn't feel like gone right it didn't have you know the, i don't know that we followed that formula very well that i had mentioned you know insightful relevant and actionable other things that we've tested that or how i should say that we go about testing is like, like we have a playbook we have a social media playbook it's a few slides it shows you what to do when to do it examples like you know if, so when you join my team you can see pretty quickly how we operate and what works. That said, once that playbook has been around for about a year, I get really nervous if we're still doing the same stuff. So I look at the team and I say, you know, the best way to innovate is to forget attribution for a minute, forget metrics, forget all that stuff. Just think, what are we trying to accomplish? Who is our audience and what would they enjoy the most? What would help them solve problems? What would be just delightful to do, right? What would just be fun content? Then we can figure out a way if we're going to, you know, how can we track, how can we measure all that, all that not as fun, but important stuff. Because I think what happens with a lot of marketers is we get so stuck in like, I need to drive MQLs or I have this pipeline target or the source for influence pipeline target. And so you go, well, you know, emailing this ebook worked once. So I guess I'll do that once a month. And you don't really change it up. You don't really innovate. And I know not everyone works at a company where their CMO is like doing Super Bowl ads and like all these like kind of crazy stuff that we come up with. But I just look around and I'm like, okay, if we're going to do a middle funnel, quote unquote, ebook, which I hate even calling it that. I download and look at what other people are doing and I do the opposite. Like I has to look and feel different. Like when you look at content, your eyes, like, you know, when you're on your LinkedIn feed, Daniel, you know, without reading a single word, what a webinar promo image looks like. Mm-hmm. Headline, one color, two faces, time. And you're like, you flip through it because it's not interesting, right? It doesn't grab your attention. I'm trying to do the same thing from our link, you know, from LinkedIn to email, which is why we use the single line formatting with some people love, some people hate, down to like, you know, these ebooks. Like, I want them to look and feel very different. And I just think that when you provide something different, you have their attention immediately. And then it's up to you to earn it or to keep it rather by. Having really good conversational copy to write the way that you speak. So people feel like, hey, I'm connecting with a person, not brand or a company, rather, I should say.
1: What I think is a, one thing I love that you said is like the the attribution and data thing. Because I think a lot of you guys are pride yourself on data. But it's also like sometimes like you've said it before, like, you know, the formula for what content makes content succeed. So it's like, sometimes you have to like, like stop looking at like how things are performing and be like, okay, here's my intuition. And I know like if I make, for do it, it's insightful and it's actionable and it follows that, that formula, it's going to perform. So let's try something that just fits into that framework. And we know it's probably going to perform just because, We've seen so much content and, and we know our audience, which I think that's like a great way to think as a marketer, because I think, like you said, a lot of marketers get caught up on like in data and OK, this is performing. And we also we all know that. I mean, not not we all know, but like a lot of people like attribution favors, like bottom, bottom of the funnel stuff, like it favors like that last touch. It doesn't favor like, yeah. and you're in the content realm, so you know that pretty well. It's like, it doesn't favor that first time that they, they looked at Gong content and had a, the first touch. it favors that, oh, that Facebook ad that you might've sent out and then yeah like they, they, they've they got a demo request or whatever it is that favors that. So I'm interested in like how you, um, where I was going down with that is like, how do you balance that like goals versus like innovation?
0: It's a good question. It's really tricky, right? Because, you know, people love innovation, but never at the expense of revenue or pipeline. <laughs> yeah. You know, if it's like, hit hit 100% of your pipeline goal and innovate nothing versus hit 90%, but innovate something, you you know what most people are picking, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for, for my team, so one is the way I structure our goals on a quarterly basis are everyone has a kind of like different pillar. So there's like, you know, so there's like brand, which is like social media growth and web traffic. And then there's pipeline, which is, you know, how much pipeline are we sourcing and influencing from Gated content versus events, right? So we kind of go through these, and each the way I try to structure it is everyone on my team has a goal that's theirs. It's like 50% theirs, it's 100% theirs, but it's 50% of their goal is one thing, and 50% of their goal overlaps with another content marketer. And so the, the point of that, like for example, is once someone on my team is responsible for growing our LinkedIn following, another person is responsible for our pipeline from Social. So they work together because you know, I mean they're intertwined there. And so I think that's really strong that everyone's got to work together. There's no, no like lone wolf, you know, kind of attitude going on. The other part is like, you know, these are our metrics. This is how you get your paycheck. This is how it moves the company forward. This is, you know, where we are accountable. But we just started the, started it this week as the second to last week of the quarter. Is I asked my team, you know, what's your big project going to be outside of that? What is one thing you want to create or test or build? And say like, hey, if it works, then in Q3, you now have a new you know, tool in your toolkit that's something we can do. And so I push everyone to have this innovative kind of like side project. And it's awesome because they, they have complete ownership of it. All I do is coach and empower them. Just like, yeah, if you think this is right? And I think it agrees. Here's how I, you know, maybe how I think it could be better, but this is yours. And I would say for the most part, we end up learning something new that we continue to doing. And then it's awesome because everyone on the team is creating our content playbook and our strategy, right? It's not just me dictating and telling everyone what to do all the time. It's the opposite. I think that they have fantastic ideas. My job as their leader is to motivate them and encourage them and then kind of get out of their way until they say that they need me.
1: I think that's an important part is like that ability to have like, like they, you do this in paid to like the good marketers, like they have like 10% of their budget towards like testing stuff. So it's like, you don't have to, it's still a swing, but it's not like at expense of like, like everything else. So I think that's a great way you put it. Yeah. One more question and then we we can wrap this up and I'll I'll leave some time for you to plug anything you want to plug. The last question I always ask people here is like, what do you think most like marketers are doing wrong today.
0: I mean, I'm mindful of saying like blanket statements of what people should stop doing because there's so many different types of marketers out there. I think the two things that prevent marketers from being successful or reaching their potential is mechanical marketing and jargon. And so, you know, I'm interviewing right now. So you ask me for a plug. My plug is I'm hiring, but something I look for is like, you know, I ask people what's their, you know, How do they go about creating content? What's their marketing superpower? What levers are they trying to pull when they create content? And unfortunately, almost an alarming amount of people, you know, say my strategy is blogs or webinars or, or, you know, these channels, that's not really a strategy. Those are, those are tactics, right? Those are ways of getting to the end goal. But I think a lot of people have just been kind of told or put in this like, you know, content pigeonhole, which is like, you know, you're taking order from sales and they want case studies or, you know, the marketing leader isn't very innovative. So they just want a quarterly ebook and they, you know, kind of no fault of their own become conditioned to think that is strategy. And that is like the end goal. In reality, what I would suggest marketers from like, you know, coordinators and specialists all the way up to leadership is like, make sure your content is attached to a strategic goal that the CEO cares about. It's really hard to say, Hey, let's not invest in content when I can show you a dashboard of pipeline that we've created and how that's turned into revenue. And that's just the safest one because every CEO wants to grow their company and revenue and pipeline are very important to that. But there's other strategic initiatives that content and marketing can be a part of, which is like, maybe there's a goal to build a category, to break into a new vertical, a new segment. It can be as something as, hey, we launched this new ebook and I know I've been hating on ebooks. I actually read them from time to time. Mm -hmm. You know, we launched this new asset And it was dedicated to, you know, uh, let's go back to financial managers because we want to get into the finance vertical. If you show that you got some sales accepted meetings from that and even one or two deals, that shows a whole lot more than just posting on social because you think you should be posting on social. You know what I mean? You can tie these things not just to revenue, but also into these other strategic goals. So that's one. The other one is much simpler, which is just stop using jargon. You know, if you go on most people's like website or the LinkedIn page, it's like this chunky paragraph of like all these words that no one ever uses when they're talking to their friends or, you know, casually. And unfortunately, a lot of, you know, newsletters look like that product updates, you know, you know, gated content promotion, like a lot of it just isn't in a way that we speak. And I think it prevents people from trusting you because it feels like a company is marketing or selling to you instead of like Daniel, the writer or the guy, you know, the, the marketing guy or the sales guy, whatever, you know, industry you're in. is just talking to me wants to help me wants to you know be conversational because that's all people really want no one wants to be marketed to, but everyone will hold, you know like and respect anyone that helps them solve their problems, especially for free
1: yeah I actually like that because I also was this has just popped in my head before you but like I've been like interviewing like younger people for like roles, and every time I get into like an interview with them it like they put on this like corporatey like buzzword hat and it's like I just like let's have a conversation me and you I don't need to like hear you're like like you trying to make it sound what you're doing good like what sounds good is like you actually telling me a a real story that actually happened so it's like I was just thinking that that point of view too it's like like a lot of young people too like are coming out or like don't be them like they're not their authentic self in like the interview. It's like they've been like plugged to be like these like corporate like jargon type thing. So it's pretty funny. But I'm going to give you time to plug those those roles that you're hiring for because that's awesome. And this seems like a, everybody is probably going to is probably applying for it because Gong's like a, a company to work for. So I'm interested to hear what they are.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm hiring a senior content marketing manager. This is someone who's going to help us uh, upmarket. So, looking, like, I'm not even going to say like time on, you know, time in marketing expertise, any of that. Like, I'm a sales guy. I've got a couple years of marketing under my belt, and I figured it out. So, I'm kind of looking for you know someone who can kind of embody the things we're talking about. Strong writers, people who understand the psychological levers of marketing, and who want to you know break the rules and reshape. B2B content. That, that's what we're all about. So that sounds interesting. Please don't LinkedIn message me, just apply online. I promise you'll get through the funnel, but if you LinkedIn message me and wait, it probably just, I won't get back to you in time. And then speaking of LinkedIn, follow me on LinkedIn and uh, follow Gong on LinkedIn. If you want to check out some of these data-backed you know content pieces we're talking about.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. That seems like a great role. So anybody listening, you should go apply. And also if you want great content in general, follow Devin and gong because they actually appreciate put out actionable stuff like you said in this like he said in this interview where a lot of people are just posting high level stuff he, he dives into the the nitty gritty stuff so thanks for coming on i appreciate it and look forward to
0: staying in touch likewise man thank you appreciate it